You are listening to another Always Moto production. The Always Moto Podcast with your host, David Hogan. We talk moto events from around the world. All the injuries, all the training ins and outs, the bikes, parts and gear inspections, the results. We interview your favourite riders. It's the Always Moto Podcast. We occasionally have some coarse language and the odd stuff up along the way. If you don't like it or you don't agree with us, turn it off right now. I'd like to remind you that he is not a doctor. That's right, Moto fans, I'm not a doctor, but I am a physiotherapist, and this is episode 75 of the Always Moto podcast. That's right, 75, we're getting up there in those numbers. I'm your host, David Hogan. We will not be joined by the Always Moto contractor, Ben Grinley, this week. He's having a, uh, I don't know, a siesta, a power nap, a... A night out, I don't know, something. Anyway, he's not here. We're recording without him. We'll catch up with him probably on the next episode. This is the Always Moto Podcast. We are in the depths of the clinic. We're throwing strapping tape anywhere it will stick. As always on the show, we're going through all things moto, particularly injuries in our sport, because hashtag injuries are a part of moto. This week on the show, we'll be talking Super Motocross round two that was at Chicago Land, and what will be round three this weekend, the final at LA Coliseum. We're also going to catch up with Damien Adams from Competitive Edge Performance and find out a little bit about himself, his business, and his thoughts on the Super Motocross so far, which was an awesome chat, so stick around for that. We've got a Dave's Diatribe. We've got another surprising lack of an emergency department, but we still have the segment here. Uh, and we've got some provided listener question and questions, questions, stuff that wording up. Anyway, yes, we've got some provided questions from a listener. Um, so we'll stick around for that. Uh, we'll meet him and get some questions that he's pre-recorded and we've provided some answers to. Uh, so something new here on the Always Motor Podcast and maybe if it goes well, we'll uh, get him coming in a bit more often. We'll see how it works out. All right, but bringing you to the show today is Competitive Edge Performance. Are you looking to take your performance to the next level? You should be. Competitive Edge Performance is the go-to provider in st- of strength and conditioning programs, sports nutrition, and on-bike coaching schools for athletes of all levels. Whether you're just starting out or a seasoned pro, they've got you covered, offering in-person sessions and top-notch online programs accessible anywhere, anytime through their awesome training app. Competitive Edge Performance believes everyone deserves access to the best training methods so you can ride faster and safer and feel damn good doing it. With over 10 years of industry experience and plenty more personal racing motocross laps themselves, their coaches know what it takes to succeed. Join Competitive Edge Performance today. Always Moto Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month on their training app using the code COMPEDGECOACH, all in capital letters. So that's C-O-M-P-E-D-G-E-C-O-A-C-H. All right, and Slantboard Guy, we've got that affiliate deal in place. Use the code AlwaysMoto in lowercase to check out the save with Slantboard Guy. And Endurance Recovery Boots, same code, AlwaysMoto in lowercase. You'll save with Endurance Recovery Boots as well. And Tech 167 3D Printing, same code. You'll save with them. Again, I think their site is still down in terms of their um, Spotify sales site. It was costing them a bit too much to have that up and running. But send them an email, tell them that you're a listener. They'll give you a code when you get one of those funnels printed in 3D 
They are very sick. We've got a video that we're putting up here shortly. We did another oil change on the weekend uh, and it works perfectly, screwing that funnel straight into the oil filler cap. As always, we still get our show merch. The t-shirts are available. They are $25 plus postage and handling. Send an email to info at alwaysmoto.com and we'll get that shirt out to you ASAP. Payments will be via PayPal. And if speaking of PayPal, if you're able, send us a donation via the PayPal. Links in our show notes or in our social media bio. If you want to support the show and support our supporters and find them and get something from them, check out those show notes. Check out the social links on the bios. Uh, and you'll get straight there to them. All right, enough intro talk. Let's jump straight into the show. This is Derek Kelly, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, SMX from Chicagoland. What a motocross track that was. Yes, that's right. It was a motocross track. There was nothing supercross about that. I don't care about those double-double sections. That was on a motocross track. It was super high speed. Now, we bashed the tracks uh, at La- at Chicago. Oh, sorry, at um, Charlotte. Uh, and we're leading into a bit of a bashing here of the Chicago track. Uh, I just, I think they were too fast. Like the the Chicago track was stupid fast. There was so many open sections, not enough obstacles. Um, they supposedly had plenty of dirt and could do whatever they wanted at Chicago land. And as per leaving the grass start, which that part was cool. I did like that they'd left a natural terrain grass start section. That part was awesome. They did apparently rip it um, because they didn't care what they did to the venue. That place has been shut for years, apparently, from NASCAR's point of view. But the track was too fast. Slow it down, guys. It was way too quick. Now, the racing itself seemed to be okay. It did get spread out a little bit there, particularly those top guys gapped themselves from the you know the thirds and fourths and back. Um, and Jet and Hunter, Shimoda and Kenny were all able to stick and run that pace and get away from the field. Um, they obviously had really good nights, those guys. So Jet and Hunter obviously had a return to form. I'm not going to really touch on that bit with Jet there and that letting Kenny pass part. Who cares if he got the math wrong? I think he just thought he, could, he owns these guys in the motocross setting and he was just trying to do whatever the hell he wanted to do, which is fine. He's going to be one of the best at this. So he's just uh, putting a stamp on it by letting somebody through. And doing it pretty obviously too. Um, but I do think that then leads to um, a bit of a change of the rules for the next season because he was able to do that because that was that mo- individual moto doesn't count for points. It was only then for an overall result. I think you'll see some sort of rule change where each moto counts for something so that they don't have that situation again because there was no reason for Jet to challenge Kenny to still win the overall in that scenario. And I don't think, you know, Feld and and um, MX Sports will want that sort of racing to happen ever again. So they'll be looking to try and make it so that everything counts, which isn't a bad thing, but I think Jet just made that an obvious reason for them to improve that scenario. Now, Kenny, yeah, look, new dad, he hasn't had much time on the bike. He's been at home with a family, you know, birth of a new child, and his son there. Um, but god damn did he look fast on that track he was going for it and yes i do think he would have challenged jet at the end of that moto if jet hadn't let him pass but he never got the chance so we will never know but he was going pretty strong which is awesome to see for kenny and for suzuki and we hear that obviously those um, press releases have come out and hep suzuki 
are going to stay HFP Suzuki. The manufacturers have agreed, like Suzuki, the manufacturers agreed to stay on board with HFP, which is awesome. All right, but Hunter as well in the 250 class, what a rebound. Um, Hunter found his pace. He came to play, which is awesome. And I think that I think that whole hangover idea that I was mentioning last podcast for both Jet and Hunter was very true. They both had rebounded. They both needed that just like kick up the pants that then that it's not that simple. And they're back on their game that last week. And I think this week here coming into LA, they're going to be much the same and they're going to be both very hard to beat. Um, both are very good on Supercross. Yes, there's always that, that bit with Jet. Everyone's been mentioning that he hasn't got Supercross time on a 450. I really don't think he's going to give a flying F about that when it comes to the gate drop on Saturday night in the States in LA. He's going to show him what's up. I'm pretty sure, certain of that. And that is going to smash Chase's confidence if he has any left um, after Chicago because I think Chase thought he had him at round one. But then at the end of round two, you could see that was deflating. He was not in the game at all for Chase. So, yeah, interesting to see how that all works out and confidence-wise for Jet. But Hunter is definitely doing a really nice job, um, those two races there. Now, it was made a little bit easier for Hunter. Obviously, Shimoda had an issue there. Now, for those that don't know, that Shimoda was actually saying not much about things, really. He sort of indicated that he knew what happened to the bike, but he didn't say what had happened on the podium. In the team press release, it's come out that there was a sensor malfunction. Now, they didn't say what sensor, you know, and controlling what, but they obviously knew straight away what this was. And so, yeah, some sort of electronical sensor malfunction was causing the issues for Shimoda that he didn't want to push to the nth degree and have that fail and potentially lock up and obviously cause an injury. So smart move by Joe. They had a decent lead over third. He was able to ride that into second there, um, and he stays in the points hunt. He stays in that chase for that, uh, I think it's half a million dollars for the 250 class for the overall win here in Super Motocross. So smart play by Joe. Maybe he's got something for, for, for Hunter at this final round. We'll have to wait and see. Now, this Supercross layout for LA, will this race better than the ra- tracks so far? It does look more like a traditional Feld Supercross type build in terms of the track and the layouts. It's still much more open and obviously they're going up the, what they call the peristyles and I don't know what that means exactly in terms of, of I, I know the term, <laughs> but that's what they're doing. It's just obviously up the stands um, and outside of the venue a little bit and back in. Obviously, this is a throwback to the 80s and early 90s when they used to be at this venue doing Supercross all the time and they would do this sort of thing uh, regularly by going out of the stadium. Now... In terms of Supercross layouts, yes, there's a, a fair bit more sections to it, but it's still fairly open. So I, I can't really call it a Supercross Supercross, but it's definitely more that way than not. But again, we'll have to wait and see how this build is when they get on the ground and see it for the first time because it seems to have been different each time we've looked at it because, again, we were talking about bowl turns last week for Chicago. They didn't end up eventuating. They didn't build it that way. Um, when they got there, they did things differently. So that could begin be the case for LA. But the track looks good for this final round. So hopefully it works that way. All right, a bit of a different topic here on the Always Moto podcast this so far this episode. 
something that was in a bit of a topic of conversation. Everybody for the Super Motocross playoffs was trying to get in. They were trying to qualify because there was money to be made. Money to be made. They were going to return from injury earlier. They were going to race more races. That was the narrative across the season from the US media. Interestingly enough, Max Anstey, after one round and a poor result at Super Motocross, just bailed. He decided that the money that was on offer was not worth it and he's going to prepare for the Australian Supercross and World Supercross rounds uh, as his priority and not do, and he didn't do Chicago, he's not doing LA. So did that just throw a spanner in the works for this Super Motocross plan that Feld and MX Sports had? I think so. I think that's Max Ansi just having a bit of a shit on top of them and uh, saying I didn't like it and it's uh, not what I thought it was going to be. Because obviously Max didn't do any outdoors. He is a very good outdoor guy, but he hasn't been practicing outdoors, so he's not on that sharpness. Wouldn't have a bike set up for it either. And he obviously qualified through his Supercross points. So again, I don't think it was anything like what he's thought so far, and he wasn't in the game. And so he just went, took the out to save himself and his body. And the money he's obviously getting from the team and the bonuses around World Supercross and Australian Supercross are good enough for him. So the money in Super Motocross maybe isn't all it's cracked up to be. Now, the other part of this too, um, we talked about it from an injury point of view, but they haven't really had this happen yet. But yes, we had a couple of guys pull out of the 250 class and they ended up basically taking all of the, almost all of this um, LCQ in Chicago. They had six of the eight guys qualify from the LCQ, so only two missed out. And poor Derek Kelly, who we've spoken to on the show before, was one of them because he had a bit of a tip over in a corner and ended up um, seventh, I believe it was. So, yeah, that was a bit sucky for Derek Kelly. But in the 450s, all of a sudden, Roman Papp has shown up for the second round and will supposedly be at round three. But what's the go with him not being at, not going to round one but allowed to go to round two or round three? Are they just allowed to show up willy-nilly? I thought this was a bit of a playoff and they were restricting entries. Once, uh, in my opinion, whoever shows up for round one should only be the ones that are allowed to show up for round two and three. You sh- if you miss that first round, you should be like uh, su- suggesting it's a playoff. You can't just turn up and do it after you've missed the first one. If anything, they should be dropping people out of it, not bringing other people in. So not sure what they've got going on there yet and i don't think they know what they've got going on yet in terms of how they manage these entries and stabilize the entry numbers across the series but it's a bit hickledy pickledy at this stage all right a bit of a follow-on from our uh injury emergency department and our injury list from last episode we mentioned bryce shelley having a crash and um in and not feeling the best He came back to us shortly after that recording and confirmed that he was fine. He did race in Chicago, but he didn't make it out of the LCQ in the 450 class. But he is all good, which is awesome from his side of things. And another bit on injuries as well. We've had a nice little conversation with uh, one of the agents for many of the stars in our sport, Jimmy Button. He's a former pro himself. We had a bit of a chat with him on the Instagram about injury clauses in rider contracts and how they work. Now, a lot of you out there will know about these contracts that they have for their teams and about the fact that there's an injury clause in it, but you probably won't know how they work, and I didn't either. And that's why I reached out to Jimmy and said, you know, can you give us a little information and and insight into this? And he did. He was awesome. He pointed out to me a couple of things that they like to know about the injury clause and what they want to avoid in the injury clause as well. 
So basically there are a couple of ways that this clause can be written, but what they want to see written is that the injury clause is only in effect for an injury that is happens from a non-moto, as in not training, not racing, not in training for the moto events, um, an injury that happens outside of those things, that there is an injury clause impact. So they don't want to have an injury clause impacted for any injury because if he gets injured at a race, they don't see that as being necessary for a clause to kick in and reduce their wage because they're doing their job. But if they say say somebody was a dum-dum and fell over doing a skateboarding trick and they shouldn't have been skateboarding and that was mid-season and they miss races, well, that's when that injury clause would kick in and they could potentially have their wage reduced to 50% until they return to the track, which is what Jimmy was saying is the ideal scenario and clause that they want to have popped into their, their, their contracts when they're signing these things. They don't want it to include the races because some teams will try and get that through, apparently. Um, not Don't have any details on who or when or whatever, but that's what can happen. So that's why you'll hear people on other outlets saying, oh, they never in, in, you know, instigated the injury clause. Well, probably because the wording didn't allow them to do it because the injury was from a moto event, not from a non-moto related cause. So that'll be the difference that you hear in why the injury clause isn't implemented. So awesome information there from Jimmy Button. Thank you for Jimmy for passing that on to us. Um, and yeah, great insight into that side of things. Now, take a quick little skip here. I'm going to just pause this. I'm going to come back with a little intro um, because we've got uh, some questions coming up here. All right, now something different on the Always Moto podcast this week. We've had uh, one of our listeners reach out and want to be a part of the show in a little way, shape or form. And this is a little test run for us here on the Always Moto podcast. So we've had him submit some questions to the show that we're going to run through now. So you'll hear Blair's voice here coming up. Now, Blair is his name. You'll hear his full name here in a second. Uh, we've got to come up with a better name if he's going to be a part of the podcast. So if we've got the contractor, he's skipped out tonight. Um, that's okay. He's allowed to. We're going to have to come up with another name for Blair as that will be always Moto something. So we'll have to, maybe we can get some submissions as to what that could be. Um, but let's hear these questions uh, from Blair here. Uh, so I'll play that now and then I'll answer the question. And we've got a couple of them. So um, stick with us here. We'll run through these here just in a sec. Hi, Always Moto. Blair Walsh here. Um, just a question about Sexton moving over to KTM. Does Plessinger being a tall rider help Sexton right off the bat with settings? Um, you know, he's moving from the alloy frame to the steel. How's he going to transition? And then, um, obviously, he's going to be training with Adam Baker. Um, will that help him? Give him that extra percent or two? Um, and then riding, you know, at a different level maybe than he rides with Roxon, uh, with Malcolm Stewart, Hampshire, and um, and Plessinger, you know, on practice days. Do you think that he's gonna? Do you think this may give him that bit of extra of an edge? Good questions, but there's some information there that we need to just clarify on this one here because Blair might have just some info that is a tiny bit behind on this info as to where things are up to. Now, obviously, all of this is still speculation. No confirmation as yet that Sexton has signed with KDM. 
But as per everybody seems to know about, he seems to be going there. It's a done deal, apparently. Now, in terms of Plessinger helping him with setting straight away because they're taller guys, yeah, that's possible. But from everything that I know about uh, Aaron Plessinger and in the couple of minutes that I talked to him at Redbud this year, uh, his testing abilities isn't fantastic. And he runs a very different setup to probably what Sexton's natural setup would be. As in Aaron has a lower, or as he says, chop it out feel to his bikes where the arse end sits very low, front end high. Now, that's not something that you see Sexton doing. Sexton's bike's either neutral or tilted down uh, in the front end because of his <laughs> front end tuck issues that he seems to have. But he wants a more stable cornering bike, whereas um, AP is not, he's looking for that bike to sit low and more steer with the rear. Uh, so that's an interesting point. On the other side of things, what we do know about the training and stuff moving forward is that Sexton at this stage will not be going to Alden Baker. So that switch that you mentioned there about riding with some different guys and getting a different program, it's not happening apparently. I will say this, but how long until that does get forced upon Sexton if the results aren't what KTM expect from the agreement uh, pretty well out of the gate? So watch this space because that might change, but at this stage he's not going to be riding with them. All right, next question. Hi, guys. Uh, my name's Blair Walsh. I just got a question on World Supercross. Um, do you think the American media has had an impact on World Supercross? Um, there seems to be a lot of negative talk in the media. Um, and I... It makes me think that there could be... Um, that that could sway people away from uh, following World Supercross. Also, another question on World Supercross, does Roxon's three-year deal roll over with the new owners? That's actually a good question there, Blair. Uh, it's an interesting one you ask around the American media and the World Supercross. They are covering it in some way, shape or form, but I do feel like you've sort of indicated there is a bit of a negative undertone towards their position on it yes they bring adam bailey onto things like pulp mx and they've had him on vital for these podcasts but i always feel like they're not as upbeat as they should be about it us on the other hand having these events in our country and not getting these riders to be able to just be there and accessible like they are in america all the time we're stoked on it but the american guys obviously see them all the time they have an existing series in place so yes they probably do have a little bit of a, a negativity towards it not that they're meaning to, just that they don't see it as being any better than what they already have. And that's probably the problem that they have in terms of promoting it then too. It just comes across in that sort of things. Um, but like you will probably notice, and, and unfortunately for the American listeners here, might not like this, but everything in America is accessible. And if it's not in America, they're not looking to it. Not many of them, and something like um, one of the guys you mentioned in your previous question, Aaron Plessinger, he mentioned about him going to France for the MX of Nations that it'd be the first time out of his out of the country for him. Now that's for a lot of us is unheard of, right? Like we travel the world, we tra we have to go and see these things because we have to go to them. Um, whereas for Americans, they only go to things that are in their country, so they're very insular in that aspect. Um, but yes, you you are right on that side of things. Now the other part of that question that was a two parter, the Ken Roxon bit. That is a really good question because that deal would have been put in place with those previous 
financial backers. And there might be some sort of loophole that he, Kenny had in the contract from his managers about being able to renegotiate that should the backers change. I would dare say, but that the contract was um, between uh, Adam Bailey and that SX Global Group and Ken Roxon. Uh, but there would have been stipulations around the backers being available to pay that and if the certain payments weren't met at certain times that it, Kenny was able to, you know, the, the deal was you know, uh, void and he could, you know, be removed from that. Um, I haven't obviously seen that contract. This is all speculation here, but that's how I believe that contract would be put together. Knowing these things of, you know, there's plenty of different ways that these co- uh, guys will put loopholes and stipulations with their clauses to make sure that each party gets what they need as best as they need it when they need it. So, yeah, that's how that would have gone. All right, thanks for those questions there, Blair. Uh, We've got a a couple of them saved up for next time. Uh, We didn't get through all of them here, but we will be uh, taking a quick break, back with more, and we'll have probably more from Blair. And like I said, send in those suggestions around a name for Blair so that we can introduce him correctly uh, here. Um, Send them through on our Instagram, always.moto. Uh, and we will get something sorted out there for him. But, yeah, quick break here on the Always Moto podcast. Hey, it's Jake Runkles, and you're listening to the Always Moto podcast. All right, guys and girls, we are back on the Always Moto podcast, and thanks for sticking around. We've got something a little different for you guys and girls out there this week. Uh, We've got somebody on the line just to talk a little bit about the Super Motocross, but also a little bit about what they are doing in the world of moto. Uh, he's from Competitive perf- competitive Edge Performance. I stuffed up straight away. Competitive Edge Performance. It's Damien Adams. How are we doing, Damien? I'm good, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on board, man. No, that's all good, mate. Appreciate your support of our show, and we're trying to throw some support for your stuff here. Um, you are out and about in the motor community on a daily basis, mate, doing, um, doing a bunch of different things. But um, just give us a little rundown about who you are yourself and where you are in moto. Yeah, sure. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, as, as you mentioned, my name's Damien Adams. Um, I run Competitive Edge Performance out here sort of in Western Sydney. Uh, we're based in the, the Hawkesbury area, um, but do go across all over New South Wales conducting uh, motocross coaching schools. Um, and I also specialize in the off-bike training side of things. So I'm a strength conditioning coach and also a sports nutritionist. Um, so, yeah, I get to, get to do the best of both worlds, have my own little gym going on here i uh, run online programs for those who aren't in the area and yeah absolutely love it man i've been riding dirt bikes most of my life um been a racer for over 10 years now and um yeah it's awesome to be able to do both ends of the spectrum of training nutrition as well as the on-bike skills side of things so yeah love the sport just want to see it get better and i think um people like yourself and myself and other coaches and things out there that's what it's all about is trying to elevate the sport yeah, um, you obviously covering a bunch of things there, and yeah, we're just trying to be bring information to the sport, and obviously like both sort of health fitness backgrounds, myself, yourself, it's an interesting point of view to look at these things and just try and improve people's knowledge and how it how it adapts to the moto because that's always been a a different challenge. Not everybody understands the world of moto unless you're in the world of moto. So that's exactly it um and like you see it time and time again obviously being in the health and fitness industry there's so many people out there claiming to know what they're doing um there's so many people out there who or there's sorry there's a lot of uh misinterpreted information out there and it can get very confusing for people um it makes it very hard to differentiate what's right from wrong and um yeah that's what we're out there trying to do the right thing and point people in the right direction 
You've sort of touched on something there. There's probably a little sore point for me. There's a lot of, bu- I'll say it, there's a lot of bullshit that gets put up from fitness point of views and, you know, especially on social medias. Everyone's got a, got a, you know, a fitness person that they're following that sort of says, do this and do that and you'll be this thin and this big on the biceps in, you know, 10 weeks or whatever it is. And it, it, ugh, look, I, it's sort of, sticks with me a bit because people are obviously watching this and it's it's bad information it's wrong information or it's just you know irrelevant you can do these things in a different manner and still get good results and yeah um hopefully hopefully by have, having that link to the moto world it actually makes more sense as to why you're doing a particular activity in that you know manner volume to translate to something on the bike and gain performance on the bike 100% man and look that's that's what got me started in this industry was um, my own training journey and made all the mistakes that I made all the things that I did wrong when I was younger following all these so-called gurus and even some professional athletes I won't name names but <laughs> professional athletes out there who were giving out training advice and programs and things like that um, and that I was none the wiser back then. I was just a young kid trying to trying to get fit and ride my dirt bike. And, um, yeah, it only had negative impacts long-term for me um, on my health and my strength and my ability to ride a dirt bike. So here we are now being properly educated and qualified to do the right things and give out the right advice. And, um, yeah, we're only, only making progress in the right way. So fingers crossed we can do more of that. I think you're pretty strong nowadays, mate. I've seen a few of your videos going around, and especially one you did recently. There was no shirt on, mate. I'm, I'm a bit, um, a bit uh, impressed by the uh, efforts going into the gym at the moment for yourself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it's the benefits of having your own gym. Um, you can kind of wear whatever you want or wear <laughs> what you don't want to wear. So it does help, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rules sure. are set by yourself yeah yeah no, that's all good well no look that's awesome to hear a little bit about the background side of things and obviously the fact that you're racing as well puts you in a different different light and we sort of wanted to touch on that a little bit in terms of seeing you know some of your thoughts on these last few super motocross rounds um things have obviously changed in the ama this year as probably a little bit of a result of the world supercross sort of things kicking off and they wanted to have a bit more of a focus back on themselves and they've joined up to be this Super Motocross World Series and the events have been different, the formats have been different, the eligibility to race in it's different. Um, yeah, just a, a whole different thing, but we sort of ended up with similar results, which is usually how these things work. The same guys are still faster no matter what tracks they put out there. But just wanted to interested to hear your thoughts on some of these things around Super Motocross, Damien. What, do you, what have you thought of the Super Motocross so far? Yeah, look, personally, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, the, the first round, I wasn't a fan of the track. Um, I'm not sure anybody was. <laughs> yeah, look, it, it was super one-lined. Um, it made it very hard for people to pass. There wasn't many options at all for people. And just uh, – it was – it was just a really bad layout, personally, in my opinion, um, and it just didn't get didn't allow the riders to show their full potential. Um, whereas, if you fast forward to the second round, just just Chicago, just gone, that was a very big improvement. Um, it was a little bit more motocrossy, which I personally like. Um, it had so many different lines. There was five, six ruts in every different corner. There was some great passes. There was some awesome racing, um, and like you could, I think it was the the two fifty races. There was a blank. You could throw a blanket across the top seven. Um, yeah, that was nice. Uh, that that sort of came to keep them all together, didn't it? And that just keeps the in, the intensity and the uh, in the interest in who's going to finish where for the spectator. 
hundred percent. And um, I think something that I like so much about it is the the difficulty for bike setup. How much that affected different riders. Like, hate to say it, obviously us being being Aussies, we love our Jet and love our Lawrence boys. But um, that first round, like you could see how much they struggled with bike setup, um, and that really put them out of the out of the top three sort of thing um, and slowed them up. And then you, you fast forward this weekend and they've got the setup right and you see where other people start to struggle. So I think it, I think it's good. It puts everyone on a bit more of a level playing field, whereas normally they go to Supercross, they know what suspension they need. They go to motocross, they know what settings they need. Whereas this, it really threw a spanner in the works and, and made it interesting. Yeah, that has really changed things. And you're hearing a lot of talk about bikes set up over these past two weekends because they just don't know what to do. And like you said, they normally have an A or a B. It's a Supercross or it's a Motocross and they're somewhere in the middle and they don't know what to do with all this at the moment. But I think they're starting to nut that out. But again, this one coming up then for LA Coliseum will be interesting again because it changes again. You know, it's it's going to be more more Supercrossy, but then different dirt surfaces as, as well because it's going to be more... West Coast um, hard pack, so it would be interesting to see how that setup aspect plays a factor into all of this. Now, you did touch on, too, about that track in Chicago being more lined and everything um, and a bit higher speed, more motocrossy. I, I'm not a fan of the higher speeds, and when they're talking about the speed that I think it was from the Honda team that they were sort of in the coverage, are comparing top speed um, to a, an outdoor track that they had, and they, they were much higher than that. Um, at this Chicago round, I'm not sure that that's a great idea. Um, just you know, from an injury standpoint, and from just the, the fact that ground hurts when you're going faster, <laughs> not sure that that works out in the long run. And maybe they would change that in the future, or maybe put a couple more, you know, somewhat obstacles in there. It doesn't have to be supercross obstacles, but just something to sort of slow the track down a bit more in the future. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Like, I'm I'm all for a more motocross style layout, but it doesn't mean it has to be full on crazy speeds. Uh, I remember hearing exactly what you're talking about. I think they were saying they were doing something like 65 mile an hour. That's fast. Down, that's, that's down one of the rhythms. Like, that's one of the rhythm sections, man. Like, can you imagine doing a rhythm section like that at 65 miles an hour? Like, one small mistake, a uh, slip in your thought process, and it's yeah, like you said, the ground's going to hurt really bad so i think i heard um kenny talking it might have been in like the post-race press conference and he was saying about how they put in that wall jump um before the two doubles to try and slow it down and if they hadn't done that they were coming in there even faster up until that point on friday so it kind of was a bit i'm I'm a bit surprised that they did that knowing that these guys are just going to pin it you know, to get there as quick as they can. They left a lot of space with nothing happening on the track for, for a professional race for my, my side of things. They're just, yeah, way too fast. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And um, I think, look, I, again, it's it's the inaugural season of it. It's a learning curve for them all. Um, and I hope that we'll see in this third round at the LA Coliseum, we'll see probably a good mixture of all the feedback from both the first two rounds and hopefully they'll get it somewhat right. Um, and then I think it's only going to improve and grow from there each each year if it's something that's going to continue. I, I don't even I haven't even actually heard. Is, is do you know if it's super motocross is going to be a continued thing in the in the coming seasons? I believe it's going to be a part of this whole thing moving forward now. But it's ugh, I do feel like as much as they say it wasn't as a you know knee jerk reaction to World Supercross being around, I still feel that was the the, the whole sort of trigger. Um, yep. And so, obviously, if World Supercross sticks around, I think Super Motocross is sticking around. So, we'll have to see, but it might just be a part of it now. But 
obviously the money aspect is probably nice from uh, from all the riders that are participating and going to do really really well out of this. So they'll probably want it to stick around. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely a nice little price purse. But um, yeah, I think doing what they're doing and you like we just said, you look at the risks that they're taking. I think they definitely deserve that kind of money. Yeah. That's for sure. Especially on that speed aspect, if they had to come off, that would hurt, and the money would be at least soften the blow a tiny bit. But uh, yeah, sure. well, let's uh, let's jump over to like obviously we're we're both sort of talking in that fitness and health side of things, and looking at these races, there's been a change in format that's obviously different from what these guys are normally used to preparing for across their seasons. Um, they're now doing these two by twenty minute motos, but there's no no heat races for them as such. Yes, there's a couple of guys going over somewhat lcq let's call it because it's the field's a bit depleted and the, the spots are opening up for especially for the 250s just gone um but yeah so they're doing two by 20s um in terms of their preparation and from your side of things damien do you think much has changed on their sides for, to get ready for this on a physical level um look given the time that they've had to be ready for it i'm gonna say no um, but moving forward, I do believe there, there would be a change. Um, like say, say this, this time next year when they, when they know what to expect, I do think that there will be a slight change in the program later in the motocross season prior to this. Um, personally, that's like from what I see of it and, and how it, it looks because it is a, a hybrid, you've got a mixture obviously of a little bit longer endurance, but you've also got a lot of intermittent interval sort of work in there the way it's happening um there's going to be a lot of like it's it's not as much resting period as you would get in say a traditional motocross but you don't have that constant intensity of continuous supercross rhythm after supercross rhythm um you got no whoops in there so there's it's it's a hard thing to train for there's there's so much um work there that you just it's unexpected um so i think from a a training standpoint they would definitely have to ramp things up a little bit coming off the back of a motocross season Mm. personally um but yeah as for this this year this standpoint i can't imagine there would have been a much much of a change for them simply because they were just it was the unknown they didn't really know what to expect and what it was going to be and i think we saw that in the first round when there was quite a few people's fitness levels did drop off considering they'd been doing 30s and outdoors and things um, and usually do that fine, that 20 minutes of very different, um, varied intensities certainly played a role in it for them. I feel like maybe that first one, when you touch on that first round where they sort of drew a few people tongue in chain at the end of those second round, second motos there for them, I feel that that probably is in part due to that, that lousy layout of the track, you know, in terms of everything was a, a shorter straight a U-turn, you know, into another intense little short straight, a U-turn or, you know, an S-bend. There was no, you know, no long sections other than that bit outside of the end of the drag strip where they'd had that corner, but that corner was probably a bit intense because it seemed to catch a few in terms of, um, you know, the moisture in the track early in the day particularly. But they weren't really getting a rest like you would, you know, in, a, in an outdoor motor, you've got a section where you can sort of just relax the racks off the bars when you're on a straight section of track. Even as you're coming into a into a nice sweeping, you know, corner, you can sort of ease off and roll into it a little bit and and just take that heart rate from, you know, drop it ten beats or something, you know, and and get that little bit of short recovery. 
Um, but that Chicago, oh, not the, the um, Charlotte track, just I don't think they gave that opportunity. This one, this weekend in Chicago, they obviously had long straights to, to back off. And it was, I don't think you saw anyone really dropping off this one this weekend. No, no, definitely the intensity was there right to the end. Um, and that showed, like we said, there was the top seven or eight 250 guys, um, and even guys that you don't normally see up there as much like Maximus Voland and, and those guys, they were literally up there in the top seven um, and there right to the end. There was no big drop-off or anything like that. So I think, yeah, this track was much better from that standpoint and did allow them to, um, yeah, you have been as efficient as possible with, with their um, energy system essentially and, and be able to last the whole race for sure. Yeah, some of that too. I, I, you'll probably know this a little bit as well, but I feel like once you do something once, the learning curve for that, you know, the repeat of it is so much higher, and you sort of already know that you can do X amount of effort and and at a, to a certain point, and then you've got to you can cap it off. Whereas they didn't know that at at Charlotte, they knew that for Chicago, and that's probably how this all worked out for them a lot better. Like just that whole learning. I've done it once. I know what to expect. I know how the day lays out. I know when I'm now to eat and be prepared for this now, you know, from a nutrition standpoint to be physically prepared on that aspect too. It would have just been so much easier this weekend. And like you said, then there'll be che- there'll be tweaks at the end of next year's motocross series to lead into this better. Um, I feel that, yeah, I feel you're spot on with that, that, um, that viewpoint. For sure. For sure. And like from, from my standpoint as a coach, if I was coaching an athlete through a similar series, we would definitely, um, be looking to make those changes a little bit like to a little bit earlier in the in the end of the motocross season to be prepared for it for sure because it's one of those things you, there's only so much time you've got because what they had two week break from the from the outdoors before they they came into this yeah well, it was like one weekend off so it's not really um you know a massive time span there that they've got a big shift that they can do anything with two weeks you're not going to gain a lot in that time no. No, that's it. it. It takes a lot longer than two weeks to make some solid adaptations with things. Um, obviously, having a, a good base well before the season started is, is where it all happens. It's the it's literally from what October through to January is where the best progress is always made, and um, then you do your best to continue to keep building through the rest of the season. And um, yeah, at least now they'll they'll have a good idea and a bit of a roadmap, and be able to like the coaches over there will be able to plan that in into their, their whole yearly periodization of programming and ensure that they have it have it factored in for this time next year. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if uh, you know someone like Alden or um, Gareth Swanepoel turned up to day one for boot camp in October and go, right, boys, SMX focus, we're doing this now instead. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> is it going to make that big of a difference or not? I don't know, but it'd be interesting <laughs> if they walked in and just dropped that on the, on the table. You know, we're doing these things differently. <laughs> Definitely, I'd love to see what how the way they go about it. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, what's coming up for you, Damien, in the next few weeks? You've obviously got a lot of different things in the in the in the pan that you you've got cooking, mate. Um, obviously, that online training platform is something that's I think is really cool because anyone from anywhere can can be a part of your work there with competitive edge performance. But what's some things that are happening in the next you know few weeks that um, people might be able to get involved with and see you and get some assistance direct from yourself with? Yeah, no, thanks, man. Um, yeah, obviously, we've got school holidays coming up. Um, so we've got a bit of a boot camp happening um, in the 
second week of school holidays with myself and uh, Taylor Fuzz Thompson. I'm sure plenty of your listeners would have heard of, of Fuzz. Um, we will be running a four-day boot camp, so there'll be on-bike uh, coaching earlier through the day at her track, and then we'll be coming back to my gym in the afternoons to go through the strength conditioning side of things and help educate um, the, these kids and these riders on what they should and need to be doing to help progress their their strength and fitness off the bike. Like I said, we're, we're coming into the off-season now, racing starting to slow up, and this is the time where uh, people need to start putting in the work and make make as much progress as they can before next season and not wait till January to find out they're unfit and, and want to do something about it. So You don't want me to un- enjoy my Christmas ham for weeks on end before <laughs> I start training, mate? <laughs> all, all in moderation, mate. I'm ah, all about that. Good. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, we got to try and try and earn it and make make the most of what we can between now and then. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah we got got that coming up. Um, and then yeah, like I said, it's it's come into that that off season period. So uh, I've got gym sessions running here at at my gym where I'm, I'm mainly focusing on the youth development side of things, um, which has been going really really well. Every every Tuesday and Thursday we do group sessions with a bunch of different riders. Nice. Um, and that's going to continue to grow over the coming months. And, yeah, I'm just going to start trying to book as many coaching schools as I can for the rest of the year. Now things are slowed up a little bit with the racing side of things and it allows more weekends available for, for coaching and people who want to start improving their on-bike skills. So we'll definitely start pushing that. Um, but before all that happens, I do get a little bit of a break. I'm off to New Zealand in the mid-October going over to – do one of Ben Townley's ride tours, which I'm pretty pumped about. That should be exciting, mate. Definitely, definitely. I, I think obviously, um, yeah, it's been been a long time coming. A whole bunch of my mates have been trying to plan this since before COVID, and it's just been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back for nearly three years now. So yeah, we're all pretty pumped to get over there and jump on some jump on some new blue bikes and see how it all is and see what the what the tracks are like over in NZ and see what I can learn from from Townley himself and try and bring it back here and continue to use it with, with my own clients. Yeah, definitely. And you have to ask him about why he couldn't beat Villapoto in 07 too. Like, you know. <laughs> He'll be stoked with that for oh. sure. sure. <laughs> I'd go straight there, mate. That'd be my first question. You couldn't do it. You were so close. <laughs> <laughs> what happened, mate? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure he knows something about why he couldn't do it. But yeah, that's. Um, I'm sure he's probably been asked that a few times over the years too. But uh, No uh, doubt. All good. Now, Damien, how do, they, how do people find you to get involved with either those boot camps you got for those kids in school holidays or or even that online training platform for you what's the what's the best way to, to find you and, and get involved with some of the stuff you're doing yeah yep yeah. um look the best best way to contact me that i'm most active on is generally on instagram um so the business page is at comp edge performance um and my personal page is at d dot adams performance coach um obviously i do have the website as well um, it is in the. It is undergoing some freshen up at the moment, so the old the work current website's a little bit old. So definitely, probably Instagram and Facebook is the easiest way to contact me, um, and I can also point them in direction of, of the app and and all my different training options and things like that as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, look, Damien, that's all sounds wonderful, and I'm glad that you're a part of the things here with uh, Always Moto and, and trying to help the, the kids out of the world um, and some of the older kids um, get out and be better on their motorcycles and be safer and stronger and fitter and enjoy just the ride. That's the main thing, isn't it? That's it, mate. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. There's doesn't matter what level you're at, whether you're trying to be professional or you're just – you're 
40 year old and you've just bought your first bike and you want to learn and you want to be able to enjoy it and there's nothing worse than feeling like you're struggling all the time and can't hang on and flapping off the back of a bike so anything we can do to make things a little bit more enjoyable and, and safer and more fun then um that's a win in my eyes yeah definitely well look man thanks for joining us um little short segment we'll probably hear from you more in the coming time with the always moto podcast i'm sure we'll get you back on soon but um thanks for your time today mate we'll um talk to you soon no, that sounds awesome, mate. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to the next one. Definitely. All right, we'll take a quick break here on the Always Moto Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Scott Meshi, number 411, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, guys and girls, we are back. Let's jump into this emergency department right now. The emergency department. All the injuries, all the gory details, and when they'll be back on track. It's the list you really don't want to be on. You do not want to be on this list, and this list seems to be MIA since SMX started. I don't know what is going on. Actually, I do. I've got some theories on that. Uh, We'll cover them here in a sec. But the injury list is not really an injury list for SMX so far. There are people that are injured and have disappeared. They aren't as a result of the SMX races so far, but which is the interesting part. So what has changed? One, the format. Two is the tracks and the track layouts. Um, Obviously, they're a lot simpler so far in terms of they're more of a motocross thing. Now, normally in motocross compared to supercross, we see less injuries anyway. So with these two tracks being more supercrossy, sorry, more motocrossy, not supercrossy, they've been very less supercrossy, means there's less chance of injury. The other side of that is that there's only really the top 30 in each class that's been there. So we're getting the higher quality guys only on the line. So these are the guys that are less likely to make the big mistakes and have the injuries from that. Not to say that they can't. We've seen plenty of them do that. But at this point in the season, they're all fairly conditioned and pre- fairly on their game. So these simpler tracks aren't usually going to catch them out. And so far, that's been the case. So that's an interesting point as well. Uh, what else is there? The fact of the, like we said, the format, the 20 minutes, the two 20-minute mains. So will... The fact that we are heading to a more supercross track or style of track for LA this weekend change that. We'll have to wait and see. Um, It could be the fact exactly the same. Like I said, those other factors of like the top 30 and the simpler track layouts, um, keeping this at bay, it might change things because we've got some more supercross obstacles. We'll have to wait and see. But let's go for the emergency department. So far, what we know. Oh, and actually too, I'm actually separately recording the emergency department, that segment that is being put on the YouTube channel to what is being heard here in the podcast. So if you're listening on the podcast this week, you need to watch the video because the content will be slightly different. It'll be similar, but it's going to be slightly different because I'm going to say this, I've got my notes, but I freestyle it off the side of those all the time uh, because the brain kicks in and and I think of something else as I'm doing it. So it's going to be different information. So you need to watch and listen in the two different locations, which means you need to be subscribed to the YouTube channel and a follower on the podcast on whatever platform you're listening so that you can maintain and get the best information across it. And as I say in the video, this is the first and only place you should go for your injury information for the supercross and motocross world. So please subscribe, like, whatever, follow, all those sorts of things. All right, Austin Faulkner, 
He is out. He has managed to tweak, re- retweak the knee that was injured at, at Anaheim opener at Supercross. He tweaked it at Ironman. He managed to ride the first round at Charlotte, but then has decided with some ongoing swelling issues to sit out the remaining two rounds. Now, interestingly enough, the money hasn't been an issue, and obviously he's signed and whatnot safe and secure, so he doesn't have to ride for a race for a ride in 2024. So he's decided to sit out. So the whole idea of these guys coming back to get the money for Super Motocross hasn't sort of worked out there in that scenario. Now, the th- concerning part for Austin, yes, his knee's swelling. He's jammed it. Ideally, it's just a bruising, but if it's continuously swelling every time he's using it, that's not a good sign. Knees don't swell for no reason. There's usually be sw- they usually swell either because you've torn a ligament or because you've got an irritated, torn meniscal issue that is then being re-aggravated every time it's loaded and you know stressed by going into a deeper squat, a twisted motion, you know, a sudden jolting impact where the where things don't necessarily take up quickly from a muscle control point of view. So there is a chance that he's maybe got a meniscal tear or re-meniscal tear there, or something wasn't completely done as well as it could have been that first surgery, and he's now having those issues and he may need cleanup in the future. I don't know for sure. I'm speculating on that stuff. But it but like I said at the start, it's knees don't swell for no reason. So keep an eye on that because that could be an issue for him to make the start of when he would want to do boot camp here in beginning of October or partway through October. So we'll have to see how that plays out. All right, next on the list is Carson Mumford. Uh, obviously, the riding there, filling in sort of deal for Pro Circuit Kawasaki. He rode Chicago, but didn't really race properly. He was unwell, didn't even line up for Moto2. The team press release came out and said that he was he's out for the remaining rounds. I've checked in with the team further. They have confirmed it's illness-related, not injury. So it's just a continuation of this illness. I don't have details on what that illness is. I haven't had a response from Carson specifically. I was just trying to get that from him. Uh, But he did tell me when I was speaking to him earlier in the year after an injury that he usually goes into a dark hole in terms of uh, electronics and and just people interactions when he's not able to ride his bike, which he's not at the moment. So he probably won't crawl out of that for a week or two and we might get a response from him then, So, w- which I don't blame him for, to be honest. Um, I, I, not everybody deals well with these scenarios and obviously for lots of us, riding is our outlet for our mental health. And obviously for Carson, he just, like he said, he just doesn't want to talk to anybody when that stuff's not happening. Uh, we might find out a bit more from him, but he's not there for LA this weekend. Kyle Chisholm on that HEP Twisted T Suzuki is dealing with a knee injury. At least that's the information we've been able to get from the team press release. Kyle had an injury to a knee partway through Supercross. It wasn't well documented. And I'm wondering if he's re-aggravated that and whether or whether that just wasn't hasn't healed correctly. And th- that leads me to think, similar like what I just said about Austin's knee, whether he's got a meniscal tear. Again, speculation, I don't know for sure. But if he does have something along those lines, he's not going to get any better anytime soon. He may need a surgical intervention as well. For Kyle's year going forward here, he's obviously got this final round at LA. He's then meant to be back on the bike for World Supercross at the beginning of November. So he has like a four to five week window here. If it is a meniscal tear, he could go and get that cleaned up you know, early next week and be touch and go as to being ready to go for those final rounds or he's at least going to use that time to rehab the knee and get through those final rounds so it'll be interesting to see what he does 
in the days after this um, super final super motocross round. And if he ends up having a surgery, if we end up finding out about that, and then again, if he turns up to World Supercross, and if he does, especially in Melbourne, I'll be asking the question, what did he do in that time window? Because I will be there in person at, at Melbourne in the pits with my media pass asking all those annoying questions. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Pierce Brown from the Troy Lee Designs Gas Gas team, their press release indicated that at Chicago, Pierce was under the weather. So another illness in the pits, and that includes now Carson and Levi Kitchen was unwell at Charlotte as well. So there's three guys in the 250 class that have all been unwell in these opening rounds. There, this is the bad time of year in America to be getting illnesses. They tend to obviously, they're, they're going from their summer season into their fall and their winter, so their colder months. And they're traveling through all these airports. This is the time for those sorts of, you know, COVIDs, flus, coughs, colds, sniffles, all that sort of stuff to come about. Whether that was that, whether you just got some bad food, I don't know the details. It just was an un- another unwell mention. They don't, again, I've had this um, diatribe before as a Dave's diatribe about the press releases giving jack shit when, you, when you're reading it from detail point of view. And again, um, no response from Pierce specifically about what that was. But ideally, he'll be f- all fit and healthy come LA this weekend with a few days between there. He just would have had a lighter day, a lighter few days this week to recover. Um, another quick mention to Ty Masterpool. I still don't understand this one. As I say at the introduction, I'm not a doctor, but I am a physiotherapist. A doctor needs to understand this one the most, but I still can't understand how antibiotics are getting him to prevent or delay him from having an appendix removal surgery because of an appendicitis. I just don't get how that's working. For most people, it's an emergency situation. It has to be removed there. And then it hasn't been a case for Ty. Well done on getting through this, Ty, but I just can't understand how that's happening. But it is apparently. So, yeah, anyway, that's where it's up to. Uh, and now the other thing I was going to mention here is RJ Hampshire. I've been in touch with RJ this week. He made some interesting comments during the week about a spinal or back injury. And there was a lot of Mike Tyson memes getting thrown around about that. It was spinal. <sighs> spinal. I broke my spine. Um, you know, that he had that from one of his fights there years ago. Well, it turns out RJ's just been extremely sore after these two super motocross rounds and he can't understand why. We're having a quick chat about it a little bit and he's saying he wasn't sure, maybe some still lingering effects from his crash in Unadilla and the, those couple of rounds toward from the end of the motocross series. Um, the other part that I was speculating with him was about the highest speeds of these tracks and then the simpler obstacles and the Supercross suspension settings or the stiffer suspension settings uh, all culminating to be just a soreness that he wouldn't be normally faced with. And again, the two 20-minute motos, yes, they're not 30-minute motos, but they're more intense with that stiffer suspension at a higher speed or would just put the body through a bit more effort. And as we sort of spoke about with Damien, um, in our earliest segments there from com- Competitive Edge Performance about the different conditioning needs and they haven't obviously had the chance to get that under control leading into this Super Motocross f- few rounds because they didn't know what to expect. They do now. Next year will be a lot different story and we probably won't hear these sorts of things but it's been a challenge for these guys to go through these segments. All right, I think that covers us for the emergency department at this stage and that's what we know. As always, check our social pages to find out if anybody else goes out sooner or closer to the event. Uh, We've been a bit slack on some of those. I apologize. 
busy with day jobs. We will get more of that stuff happening here in the future. And we're looking to bring on more information and more content and all that sort of stuff. All the good stuff you want to see for 2024. So stick around. All right, we'll take a quick break on the Always Motor Podcast. We'll be back with more. Hey, I'm Bubba Pauly from the MadParts.com Kawasaki Supercross Race Team, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. All right, guys and girls, let's get into a Dave's Diatribe. This is Dave's Diatribe. What's a diatribe? A diatribe is a forceful and bitter attack against someone or something. So keep your head down. You might be next. You could be next, and you could have the same thing happen that happened last week in our last diatribe. We got a result. I don't know whether they heard me or whether it was everybody that complained about it because this wasn't just me talking about this. This I've heard this one across multiple different media sources. It was the whole SMX champ stats and Ricky Carmichael being a 15-time SMX champ and James Stewart being a three-time SMX champ and we're pointing out that, no, no, they weren't. That didn't exist. Well, did you notice that that was gone? Uh, Ricky, uh, James, Ricky, Ricky turned up as a... Uh, five-time Supercross champ on his comment on his little box under his name. So, well done, guys in the TV crew. Thank you for listening. Uh, it made me feel a little less um, aggro about the coverage at that point when I saw that. So that was nice. But this week's Dave's diatribe, I've got to ask the question. We always and and this is a little bit, you know, um, pot calling the kettle black at this point for a few different reasons. One, we haven't had any in, any injuries as a result of the racing in these super motocross races yet. We've had people pull out from other existing issues, illnesses, tweaked knees, etc. But no actual crashes that have then caused an injury. Will that change in LA? We'll find out. But the potential was there this weekend. The track was too fast. When they were reporting about the track at one section being 65 miles an hour, and for those speaking Australian, that's 100 clicks. That's pretty damn fast on a 450 on a motocross slash supercross race track. That's too fast. That is insane. Ground hurts, right? The faster you're going, the more that ground hurts. Let's dial that back. Why can't we put in another obstacle to slow that track down? Why can't we put some rollers? Why can't we put a tabletop? Get something that they can put some big whips off of. Do something to the track to slow it down. Anywhere that they are holding it wide open for longer than sort of one to two seconds is too much. The track needs to have some changes to it to allow them to be safer, slower, and not impact the ground at a ridiculous rate when they come off. Because it's a matter of if, not it's a matter of when and if, not so much that it's not going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. It's just so far, for whatever reason... These first two rounds, there's been no injuries. And I go through that a little bit on my last video that I popped up on TikTok. So if you haven't seen that, check that out. I've got some ideas on that one. But these tracks need to be slower. I know that was a motocross style of track. But like they even said on the coverage, nowhere in the other 11 rounds of the AMA series for the motocross did they get to that speed. So why do it here in super motocross? Slow the track down. Right, let's take a break here on the Always Moto Podcast. That's our Dave's Diatribe for this week. Slow the tracks down, people. I'm Kyle Greeson, and you're listening to the Always Moto Podcast. 
All right, guys and girls, we are back on the Always Moto podcast. We're going to wrap this thing up here. We are almost done, but there's a little bit of information you need to stick around till the end to hear. So what's coming up? Obviously, this weekend is the last weekend for the AMA Super Motocross Finals. Uh, they will be at LA Coliseum, and that will be the last one. There's then going to be some time off. Now, obviously, they're going to have some in some shows during the off-season. We put air quotes around off-season because there's never really an off-season in moto. But we have two weeks until the MX of Nations at the beginning of October. That same weekend, the Australian Supercross kicks off in Adelaide. So that will be some interesting content we'll have to bring for you there so we'll have some shows around that then we have a bit of a gap and then it's world supercross at the beginning of november on the 4th of november in abu dhabi we then go the following weekend uh to newcastle for the australian supercross we'll be on the ground there which will be awesome getting rider interviews firsthand and witnessing it all so we'll have content from then uh, and I believe it's either the following weekend or the weekend after, whatever that works out, November uh, 24-5, I think it is, for the Melbourne Australian Supercross and World Supercross combined there at Marvel Stadium. Uh, and we will be on the ground again, so we're getting first-hand reports and content from the pits, so we have some post-race interviews, we'll have some uh, recap shows as well. So there's plenty more coming here in terms of race content uh, in the off-season, air-quoted, um, and we'll also be starting some uh, of our Living With the Sherco content that we sort of teased you at a couple of shows ago. We've got that new Sherco Australia 302 stroke in the garage. We've been putting out some content on already in terms of those TikToks and uh, YouTube shorts and whatnot. Uh, so if you haven't seen those already, go check them out. We've got a very sick upgrade on the facelift there of the bike from the sticker kit with Ringmaster Images. Uh, they do some awesome designs for us. We've got a bit of a a bit of a family tradition. We started this uh, uh, many years back with Ringmaster. We got this sort of underlying theme of a background kit. of We call it Smash Glass. Uh, and it's just a colour smash. Uh, and it sort of stands out a lot. We throw the logos and stuff on top of that, and we've continued that through all of the bikes, and the Sherco got that as well. So head over and check out those images. The bike's looking pretty sweet. We are looking for a um, company to do a seat cover for it just to finish off the look. Uh, we'll get to that in time. But, yeah, we're going to have some content on the Sherco here and on the build what we've encountered so far with it. Things have been a bit difficult in some areas because it's not a – it's cool. It's mainstream, but it's not mainstream. It's not like a, it's not Yamaha as such, where the parts are everywhere. Sherco is a little bit different, different in that aspect. So we've got some things that we've learnt along the way with that journey. So we'll have those shows in this period as well. And then, of course, by that point, we'll be rolling around. It'll be December. Uh, we will be heading to into uh, January before we know it, and we'll be hearing about that. Uh, AMA calendar that will be coming out probably this week, later this week, or if not by the time we're here at LA um, at that final round, we'll be hearing about it then. So there'll be content again come January. So, But we've got plenty of stuff to fill the void from basically October, November, December. So you'll be hearing from us plenty here. So make sure you are following, subscribed to the YouTube, to the podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, we'll be there. Subscribe to that feed. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's important for us. We need to get that number up. We're at about 200, I think we're just under 250 now. We need to get that up. Please go and like it and sh- you know, follow it, share it, whatever, subscribe to it. The, those, all those words mean the same thing, people. Don't get confused. Just go and make sure you click on that button. That means that you've, you're attached to our page. That would be very, very helpful for us. But So you'll stay in, up to date with all these things. All right. 
Uh, don't forget um, to check out our written articles, which we'll have continuing all the way through on fullnoise.com.au. Uh, and we'll soon have our alwaysmoto.com website going here shortly. That's the plan to get that done in this off-season ready for 2024. But that's it for another show. Thanks to Competitive Edge Performance, Slantboard Guy, Endurance Recovery Boots, and Tech 167 3D Printing for the show support. Don't forget to get your Always Moto t-shirts. Email info at alwaysmoto.com and we'll get you that shirt set up. Leave us a uh, PayPal donation if you can via the links in our show notes or in our bios on the social channels. Thanks to you guys and girls for listening. Remember, you need to be smooth to be fast because if you're not, I'll probably be seeing you deep in the emergency department, maybe even the clinic having strapping tape thrown wherever it would stick. <laughs>